Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear kinsfolk. This is Pastor Visser from CPM, and once again I'm joining you this Sunday morning, as promised, to take a look at the childhood of Jesus Christ. And if you were with me for my last sermon, you'll know that we looked into the birth of Christ. And I covered a few pertinent aspects that I feel were seemingly not dealt with in our series pertaining to the Gospel of St. Luke. But this Sunday, we're going to take a look at his childhood and what it was that Jesus Christ did as a youth before beginning his ministry in Galilee. That, of course, will be dealt with most likely next week in a sermon forthcoming titled, The Life of Christ. However, this morning we're going to deal with the youth, or the childhood of Jesus Christ. And this falls perfectly into our series pertaining to Lessons from Luke. That series, Lessons from Luke, is designed to look at several aspects that weren't covered when we dealt with the entire Gospel of St. Luke this year in 2014. But the childhood of Jesus Christ is mentioned beginning in St. Luke chapter 2. And right in verse 38 we can read this. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto Yahweh, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of Yahweh, They returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. Now, several points before we continue this narrative, but Jesus Christ was considered a Nazarene. He began his ministry in Galilee, because that was familiar territory. But he would not begin until he was of rightful age. Moreover, he would not begin preaching, that is, Jesus Christ, until he had been fully baptized in fulfillment of prophecy, and I might add, by water, and tempted of the devil, a literal devil, not his flesh, dear kinsfolk, because Scripture straightforwardly says that Jesus Christ was perfect, and in him was found no guile. So there obviously is a literal tempter. Notice also that the parents of Jesus Christ did everything in accordance with the law of Yahweh God. And we even proved in this same series, Lessons from Luke, that Luke, being the beloved physician and a close traveling companion to Paul, was pronomian in his viewpoint. And there's a lot that could be said about that in general. Because here's a medical doctor, and he's coming and he's telling you, If you want to live a happy life, 
If you want to be fulfilled and you want to have the grace, righteousness, the unmerited favor of Yahweh God, then the way to do that is through continual prayer and adherence to the law of Yahweh God. Now, interesting of note, because there's not a single doctor out there that would tell you that in this day and age. However, that was the integral theme of Luke's Gospel. And he's putting down some of those points right here. When they had performed all the things according to the law of Yahweh. Well, there are those who will come along and say Jesus Christ did away with the law. That he nailed it to the cross and suddenly it's somehow okay to serve other gods, bow to graven images, covet your neighbor's goods. Well, that's simply not the case. Verse 40. And the child, referencing Jesus Christ or Yahshua Messiah, if you will, grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. The Passover was such an important event to the Israelites of the Old Testament, but also to Jesus Christ, because it was He who would be sacrificed in Jerusalem during the Passover weekend. At the same exact moment, and we proved this from Luke, that those goats, those sheep, those sacrifices were made for sin offering. Why? Because He was, and in the process, became, our perpetual Passover. So, this should shed more light on who it was that protected the Israelites during the Exodus when we were in the land of Egypt. Because it was Yahweh God who said, if you want the death angel to pass over your house this night, then you should anoint your doorposts with blood. Well, whose blood do you think that was, dear kinsfolk? Back then it would have been a proverbial lamb, but of course it represented the purifying blood of Jesus Christ. That same blood that was shed for all and shed for one and all time. But that's a side note. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. What is that? That shows that they were pronomian as well. And it only stands to reason because it was the Virgin Miriam who was raised in the Holiest of Holies. And this Sunday, we're going to deal with a few of those texts. I'm not going to go to the Gospel of Mary. However, I will look at the Gospel of the infancy of Jesus Christ. That is attributed to doubting Thomas. But continuing the narrative. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph... And his mother knew not of it. Now in this day and age, that would be enough to have your children taken from you by the state, but not so back then, because most people developed extremely early, or we could say just earlier than we do today. Now a child is not considered a true adult until he's at least at his 18th year, but here Jesus Christ was 12, and what is the significance of the age or the numeral 12 according to biblical numerics? Well, Twelve represents, according to Bollinger, governmental perfection. Now, you know as well as I do that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all mysteriously silent pertaining to the years between his birth and this event that we're dealing with this Sunday morning. However, many of the apocryphal, the pseudepigraphal, and just the plain Gnostic text will shed more light, at least historically, as to what they say Jesus Christ did during these, quote-unquote, missing years of Jesus Christ. 
Now, about a year ago, me and my ex-co-host did a sermon titled Joseph of Arimathea, where we looked into some of those so-called missing years in the life of Christ. If you've not heard that broadcast, I'll invite you to swing by our address. It's given in the intermission and towards the end of this message. Download it and listen to it for yourself. But his parents didn't know. Mary and Joseph were leaving Jerusalem, going back to their hometown after their strict observance of the Passover in Jerusalem, and Jesus was nowhere to be found. He couldn't be found, and that's that point I want to really drive home to you. The fear that must have set in, because, after all, anybody who has children who's been in a Walmart or a Target and has lost sight of them for any length of time, albeit only a few seconds, understands the panic that could set in. Well, what happens? Verse 44 of St. Luke chapter 2. But they, that is, the parents of Jesus Christ, supposing him to have been in the company that went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. Now, let me set the stage for you real quick so you understand what's happening. During the Exodus, while our Israelite people would make that trek to Jerusalem, it was customary for them to travel about a day's journey out. And they would stop. The reason for that is exactly what we're covering this Sunday morning, in case somebody got left behind, in case somebody was ill, in case somebody needed to return to the city before continuing on past the point of no return, quote-unquote. And I say that proverbially. So they supposed Jesus Christ was out in the company, the magnitude and the multitude of the Israelites that they were sojourning and journeying with. So they go looking for him. Well, where do you think Jesus Christ was? Well, let's continue. Verse 45, And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Now, why would the young Jesus Christ, a mere 12 years old, be sitting within the temple asking questions? And why would he be doing that for an upwards of what we can deduct safely, five days? Well, we know five is the number of grace. But Yahweh God placed his own spirit within flesh form. This would be the meaning of the name Emmanuel. Because after all, that means God with us. So they go back. They look for three days. It took a day to return and probably two days going around the city of Jerusalem asking other Israelites, Samaritans and so forth, where is the young Yahshua Messiah? Well, they couldn't find him. Finally, they go to that great temple. That same great temple that Yahshua Messiah would spend the last week of his life in. For five days straight, I might add arguing and railing against the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and so many other cliques of the faithful. He would make such proverbial statements like, I could raise up stones to Abraham's seed, or Yahweh God can. He would teach, especially in the Gospel of Luke, about the prodigal son, about the good Samaritan, and so many other aspects. But Jesus Christ was a teacher. Thus, the terminology rabbi. It has no Jewish connotation whatsoever. In scripture, rabbi merely means teacher. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ would be. But not so here. 
Here he's a youth. Here he's in that same temple. And not only that, he's asking them questions. Sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. What type of doctors are these? Well, these would be like Dr. Wickstrom, Dr. Arnold Murray, Dr. P. Peters. These would be those who are familiar with the Word of God, at least in Jesus' day. Verse 47, And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Question. Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. What's Miriam saying here? She's saying we were worried. We didn't know where you were. You're 12 years old, but yet you're still indebted to us. You're not at the age of accountability. And why would you do this to your mom and dad? To paraphrase. How does Jesus respond? (laughs) Verse 49. He said unto them, How is it that she sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Question. Now, Mary just came to Jesus Christ and said, Your father's worried. Your father looked in the band of the company that was going alongside us, and we couldn't find you. So we return here to Jerusalem. We're looking everywhere. How could you, young Jesus Christ, do this to your mother, me, and your father, Joseph? How does Jesus respond? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? So who is Jesus' father? Is it Joseph the Judean, his quote-unquote stepfather? Or would it be Yahweh God? And not only that, here's an important aspect I want you to take away from this Sunday morning sermon. And it is this. Jesus Christ, from the moment of His conception to the moment of His ascension to sit at the right hand of Yahweh God and be coronated in the process was always about His Father's business. And not only that, so are His people. His people are not they out there trying to defend self. His people are not they out there worried about what other preachers are doing or what's up on YouTube or what the Jew is doing within the media. Although those things are important, Yahweh's people are always they who, hear me dear kinsfolk, are about their father's business. Now naturally, if you're a natural man and you're down here and you seemingly think that your father is that flesh man who gave you life or put food on the table for you growing up, well then you'll also be about your father's business. But not necessarily the business of Yahweh God. And that is the terminology of father. Why scripture says to call no man father on earth. Period. When it comes down to it, it's who you recognize as your father. Is that to downplay the importance of fathers? Absolutely not. But it is the recognition of who your Father is, not the flesh man. All souls belong to Yahweh God, according to Ezekiel. Thus it is Yahweh God, who is the father of each and every Israelite man, woman, and child. Not only that, in this same Gospel of Luke that we covered this year, Jesus Christ taught the Lord's Prayer. And within that, He taught us to pray in this manner. Our Father, who art in heaven, that's the very first thing He taught recognize Him as your Father. Why? He's Yahweh. He's Jesus' Father, and Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. But Adam is a Son of God. And Satan, by extension, is also a Son of God. But we're more, at least in this day and age, greater 
than they that are in the world. And part of that power comes from the acknowledgement of who your Father is. Jesus Christ recognized that in this morning's account. He knew where the source of all blessings came from. But He also knew that He came to a world that was in error. A world that would eventually crucify Him. And not only that, this same temple, where they're all astonished, where they're sitting there, and the doctors are saying, Wow! This 12-year-old really knows the Word of God. was the same exact temple that wanted to see Him crucified. The same exact temple that Jesus Christ would say, Now is your hour. The hour of darkness. This is Satan's hour. The hour of death. And so, what I want you to understand is Jesus Christ willfully laid down His life, but He did that in fulfillment of prophecy. The first round, as he's going through there, they were astonished and probably a little bit more sympathetic to him because they didn't perceive him as so much of a threat. But when he's coming through at 33 years old, that's an entirely different story. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, Be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net, where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts, or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church, so that when He returns, you will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith, and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Well, we covered quite a bit from the Gospel of Luke this year. Jesus Christ said to his parents, Must I not be? Don't you understand that I need to be about my Father's business? Yahweh's work. Fulfilling his will, his law. Well, what prophecy did he fulfill in this? (laughs) Well, he did fulfill one. And perhaps one of those keys is provided right here in verse 50 of St. Luke 2. And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. Understand the irony of that, okay? Because Jesus Christ was born to the Virgin Maryam. I taught on this, in fact, in our last sermon. It was the angel Gabriel who comes to her and says, Hey, blessed are you among women. You're going to conceive in your womb of the Holy Spirit and you're going to bring forth Yahweh God in flesh form. And each and every time an Israelite man, woman, or child would see an angel of God, Gabriel, Michael in the Old Testament, or just unnamed angels that were at the tomb of Jesus Christ, they would be filled with dread. They would be filled with stress, sorrows, worry. They didn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. Now, Mary didn't understand why Jesus Christ would be in the temple. What's the significance of that? Is that she didn't fully understand. And that was the point I made in the Gospel of Luke. 
You don't have to understand to obey. In fact, you're called to obey before you understand by Yahweh God. Thus is the way of faith. Thus is the way of love. Unmerited favor is bestowed to each and every one of us, irregardless of what we do. We cannot earn that. That is considered grace, dear kinsman. But Yahweh God commands what He commands in the Word of God, so you will obey. So when Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you will do this, you will conceive within your womb, she says, be it unto me according to the word of Yahweh God. But Mary didn't fully understand, and here it is 12 years later. Here they're in the main temple of Jerusalem. They still don't understand it. In fact, it would probably be perceived as an obnoxious act, as a rude thing to say. Because Mary comes to him and says, well, (laughs) your father's worried. Where are you? And he says, I'm about my father's business. In short, Christ is saying, Joseph's not my dad. Yahweh is. And Mary, of course, knew that. Joseph knew that. But 12 years after the birth of Jesus Christ, when he's still a child, they didn't fully understand yet. There's so much symbology that can be brought forth from just that account. But nevertheless... For the sake of time this Sunday morning, because I have a much shorter time slot, I want to take a look at the Gnostic Gospel of First Infancy. Now, First Infancy is attributed to Thomas, the same doubting Thomas that came along and said, I will not believe that Jesus Christ lives again unless I put my very finger in the side of he who once was dead. Well, Thomas would go on and he would provide valuable keys, things that are not found within the Gospels themselves. And I actually covered the Gospel of Thomas' infancy, considered infancy one. I covered this, I believe, about three, four years ago. So if you look around a diligent search on YouTube or the Internet, you should be able to find those, where I've actually preached this before. But what I want you to take a look at is something that I promised last weekend in that particular sermon. For example, you may have heard me mention that it was the umbilical cord of Jesus Christ that was placed in an alabaster box of ointment. Well, it is the same first gospel of the infancy of Jesus Christ that teaches no different. For example, in chapter 2, When the time of his circumcision was come, namely the eighth day, just as we covered in Luke, on which the law commanded the child to be circumcised, they circumcised him in the cave. Not a manger, but the very cave that he was born within. And the old Hebrew woman took the foreskin, that would be the midwife, took Jesus' foreskin. Others say she took the navel string. Well, either way, it could have been the umbilical cord, it could have been the foreskin. But what does she do? She preserved it in an alabaster box of old oil, a spikenard. And she had a son who was a druggist, to whom she said, Take heed, thou sell not this alabaster box of spikenard ointment, although thou shouldest be offered three hundred pence for it. Now, this is the alabaster box which Mary the sinner procured, and poured forth the ointment out of it upon the head and feet of our Lord Jesus Christ, and wiped it off with the hairs of her head. Now, that's just one little extra key. Is it true? Well, it is considered Gnostic. It is considered uncanonized. But to me, it makes perfect sense because scripturally, everything comes full circle. Every earth age, we reap what we sow, etc. 
So it only stands to reason that Jesus' death was intricately linked to his birth. But that's a side note. Because I didn't want to leave you hanging by mentioning that Jesus' own umbilical cord and Jesus' own foreskin may have been placed within that same box of oil. But what we're going to be looking at this morning is still in first infancy here, the Gospel of Thomas, but chapter 15. Beginning right in verse 1, we read this. When the Lord Jesus was seven years of age... He was on a certain day with other boys, his companions about the same age. Now this would have taken place five years before Jesus Christ was found within the temple. And he would be playing with other kids that were his age. Was Jesus a normal boy? Well, according to the Gnostic text in the Pseudepigrapha, he wasn't. He was an outcast. He was not accepted. But so it stood as he walked upon the face of this earth. He said, My sheep hear my voice. Not the entire world. My sheep rejoice at my coming. So, while he may have been an outcast in the eyes of the world, Yahshua was redeemer to his beloved people, Israel. Verse 2. Who, when they were at play, made clay into several shapes, namely, asses, oxen, birds, and other figures. So, like any other normal kids, here they are down at the riverside playing in the mud. And they're building little figurines, if you will. Little donkeys, little cows, (laughs) you know, little flamingos, little owls, little birds, whatever it was. But most assuredly, little men form, creating little men out of clay. Verse 3. Each boasting of his work and endeavoring to exceed the rest. Then the Lord Jesus said to the boys, I will command these figures which I have made to walk. And immediately they moved. And when he commanded them to return, they returned. So here's Jesus Christ giving life to an inanimate object. Should that be shocking? No, absolutely not. Because the symbology of what we're covering right here is no different than what Adam was created of. It was Ahadam who was created from the Aret, or the Red Earth, from the Garden of Eden. It was Yahweh God who breathed within his nostrils and he became a living soul. However, here, Jesus Christ merely commands that they walk. And they walk off. He commands that they return and they return to him. Devoid of a soul. But we could simply say that what we're seeing here are forms of golem. Zombies, if you will. Nothing new under the sun. But this teaching has existed for 2,000 years. And while it is not canonized, it's definitely historical. And that is the purpose of why I'm covering it today. I want to give you food for thought. Jesus Christ is seven years old. He commands them to return. They return. He commands them to go. Well, they do what he says. Verse 6. He also made the figures of birds and sparrows, which, when he commanded to fly, did fly. And when he commanded to stand still, they stood still. And if he gave them meat and drink, they did eat and drink. Fancy that. Just like Adam in the Garden of Eden, given dominion. But yet what we're seeing is a pale representation of a youthful Jesus Christ. Most likely providing elemental keys that provide further information into who it is that was before them. The other children wouldn't recognize it. But by this stage, they understood. Why? Because they made little clay pigeons. They made little clay turtles. And they stood there still. But Jesus made the same ones, 
And he commanded them to do whatever he said. He could make a little clay bird, and it would fly away, as per the commandment of Yahweh God. What is that? Well, every single word of Yahweh God will ring true. What's the significance of what we're covering here? Well, let's keep reading. Not only did they eat and drink, but verse 7 says, When at length the boys went away and related these things to their parents, their father said to them, Take heed, children, for the future of his company, for he is a sorcerer. Shun and avoid him, and from henceforth never play with him again. So did you hear what transpired? The children went home and they said, Hey, Yeshua Messiah was doing great miracles down by the riverside. He was making clay golems, if you will, do exactly what he said. And they said he was a sorcerer. We could say that this is dangerously close to the unpardonable sin because much later, as Jesus Christ was an adult, he would walk and they would come and the Pharisees would say, Hey, you know what? You cast out demons with the power of Beelzebub. And he would say, Well, if I cast out demons by the power of Beelzebub, whom do your sons cast them out by? The teaching of this is what? It is this. That we, dear kinsfolk, the Israelite people of the Bible, God's called and chosen, will be shunned by the world. Not only that, we live in a world that will call evil good and good evil. Were the parents wrong in their defense of their children, saying, don't play with Jesus Christ again? Most likely not, because I believe any other parent would probably do the same exact thing. However, they should have been familiar. They should have said, hey, let's question this a little deeper. Let's find out why. And maybe, five years later, when he's in the Temple of Jerusalem about his father's business, maybe then a few of them understood and had a little pie on their face and felt a little foolish for telling their sons and daughters not to play with the young Yahshua Messiah. But we live in an era where we tell the truth and we're hated and we're vilified. Is that any different than it was during the times of Jesus Christ? Of course not. He came into a wicked world and that same wicked world killed him. He came into the world and his own people received him not and so it stands today the Israelite man, woman, and child still reject Jesus Christ. Or, even worse, many times we'll call him a sorcerer. Now, that terminology, sorcerer, is always negative in canonized scripture. In fact, usually, it is often transliterated from the Greek word pharmakia, or pharmasusa, both of which mean the same exact thing, alchemy, forbidden witchcraft and practices. And this was no different for the young Jesus Christ and the aged Jesus Christ, or at least we could say the young man. Jesus Christ came, and everywhere he went, those he healed, those he fed, those he clothed, respected him, loved him, revered him, and gave him the worship he was due. But the others within the temple, the others who felt threatened at their position, like the Pharisees, like the high priests, well, they would conspire to murder Jesus Christ. So I invite you, if you have free time, to go back and look deeper into the gospel of the infancy of Jesus Christ, part one. Because I have preached it before, and perhaps I'll even provide a little link in my forum after this particular sermon goes live. But what I want you to understand is that the childhood of Jesus Christ was no different, albeit entirely different, 
than any other childhood down here on Earth. If that makes any sense. Because it was the same exact thing in his adulthood. Now, I already covered some of that. He could feed those that were hungry. He could restore eyesight to the blind, like Bartimaeus. And he did that in the Gospel of Luke. But he also said in the same breath, Greater works than these will you do. He also taught that it is more an act of faith to believe in those things that are unseen than to believe in the things that are seen. Why? A wicked generation believes in the things they see. For example, these children. They probably sat there and said, wow, this is some type of alchemy. This is some type of witchcraft. And so it stands today. They will do the same exact thing. Pastors like myself and men that I work with have been vilified, slandered, defamed, (laughs) ceaselessly throughout the internet. Non-stop. And the reason for that is because they like to call good evil and evil good. We also know that scripture says, woe unto them who do that, who call evil good and good evil. Jesus Christ was the beloved redeemer of his people. He came for them. He instructed his latter disciples to go only to them. And in the end, his own people were they who rejected him. I ask you, is there anything different? Is there any new thing under the sun? And so it stands, dear kinsfolk, I will be back with you next week. I apologize that this sermon is a little shorter than the others, but sometimes that's just the way the cookie crumbles. I prefer some of these short ones, believe it or not. But irregardless, next Sunday, or probably the Sunday after that, I'll be back at this pulpit teaching again, not the childhood of Jesus Christ, but the life of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot more I could add, and perhaps I'll do a second part to this. But I really want to get it out to you, because I briefly touched upon it in my sermon, The Birth of Christ. I mentioned the alabaster box of ointment. I mentioned these golem, or these clay pigeons that Jesus Christ created down by the riverside. And so I did not want you to feel like you were not equipped with the proper verses to know where to go and look for yourself. And... I feel that I have done that. And so, until next time, dear kinsfolk, this is Pastor Visser from Covenant People's Church and Ministry in Brooks, Georgia, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry! Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given. That wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website, or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.